Hey, this is Rick Cassells from ExercisesForInjuries.com. Today I have another interview uh, with a you know fitness professional, and we're going to kind of talk about injuries and exercise, and we're going to kind of focus on uh, C-section. So I'm going to get Carmen, who's going to be the expert person that I'm going to interview today, to kind of introduce herself, and we'll get into the interview. All right. Thank you very much, Rick. Um, my name is Carmen Bott. I uh, have a master's degree in exercise science from uh, the University of British Columbia. I teach at uh, post-secondary level there and at a local college here in Vancouver. And I also own a company called humanmotion.com, and we do um, – well, we train elite attitudes, sort of our trade trademark. So we do a little bit of, a, of everything. Okay. And so today we were going to talk about C-sections, and I know a couple of years ago you probably even weren't even thinking about it, but now you're thinking about it. So maybe you can kind of explain, you know, your story and why, you know, you want to kind of talk about this topic. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, of course, any pregnant woman sort of, I guess, <laughs> assumes that uh, they're going to go through a natural um, natural labor, a natural birthing process. My husband and I had gone to uh, – couple workshops on, you know, water birthing and this and that, and we had it sort of all planned out. But um, Jackson, our son, who's now seven months, decided that uh, he would be breech. And um, when babies are breech, you you have the option of going uh, in for a a procedure called an ECV, um, which essentially um, it means an external cephalic version. So cephalic meaning head, okay, so head is up. They're actually trying to rotate the baby, and they do that manually from the outside. So you've got two very strong OBGYNs on either side of your tummy, and they actually monitor the baby um, while they do the procedure, and they they, they attempt to turn the baby. So um, we went through that. Uh, apparently, I, I now hold a record in women's hospital for the longest ECV. It was very painful. Um, and my son was turned about 95% of the way there. Then we went back the next day, and he had promptly turned back to where he wanted to be, which was uh-huh. head up and over on the left side. So um, we decided that baby probably knows best, and um, you do have the option of, of giving birth naturally um, with a breech baby at Women's Hospital in Vancouver, British Columbia. They've got some specialists there, but um, the risks are... are in my mind, not not potential, not really worth it, and it was really my first um, baby. So we decided to opt for what I called the uh, Hollywood uh, option, which is a scheduled <laughs> C-section, which I was very unhappy about because I trained throughout my entire pregnancy, lifted weights, did kettlebells, pushed sleds, you name it, played football actually up until 14 weeks. I was very active, and I didn't really like the idea of having surgery and then having an eight-week recovery period and then, you know, potentially having complications, um, you know, with the musculature in that area, you know, post-surgery. So it wasn't ideal, but, um, you know, you have to do what is safe and what you're comfortable with as well. And um, we went ahead with it, and I lucked out and had a, a good surgeon and um, had the C-section, and the delivery went very smoothly. My son was very healthy when he was born, and um, we had a little bit of complication in the uh, in the surgery in that um, when they sewed me back up, on the left side, they actually ended up tying up a bunch of nerves. So I had um, sort of like a nerve bundle, um, almost an impingement, if you will, from the stitches. 
and I couldn't get out of bed for three days um, because of that. So they brought in an anesthesiology team and um, did a nerve lock, which is where they inject an anesthetic sort of transverse across your abdominal wall through the different layers of tissue, mostly muscular tissue, and freeze an area just to block the pain and uh, it, it worked it alleviated some of the pain it was, it was a lot more painful than I had expected because of the complication but I later found out that because of um, my background and all of the training I had done um, the fascia was so tight that when they cut me open it actually sort of sprung back and they had to really tug on it to get it back to you know where it should be to sew me back up so there's pros to being fit and strong, and, and there are cons. So that was um, unfortunate. But the good the good news was is that because I was you know in good physical condition and healthy, the actual recovery um, was quick. So I was able to get up and, and walk around once the stitches dissolved, and, and haven't had any you know complications after that. Oh, okay. So then. Now, what advice would you give when it comes to, well, maybe we'll take a step back. Like, you're saying that you're quite active, you know, prior to uh, delivery. Like, what would some recommendations you would have for people? And it can be like a fitness professional, even just the general public, when it comes to, like, exercising while while pregnant. Well, you know, that's the thing. You have to be careful because you have to follow the, you know, the obstetric guidelines, um, which they haven't done a lot of research on strength training. Most of the research has been done on um, fetal responses to cardiovascular exercise. What they have found is, is that um, the old adage of don't go over 140 beats per minute is now null and void, and they are saying that if you were active and you did exercise at a high intensity, you can do that while pregnant. Use the talk test. Um, one piece of advice I would give, and this is based on our, some research done by Dr. Clapp, who was a um, who is a physician in the state who studied about 500 active um, athletic women. So these these weren't women that were walking and doing yoga. These were athletes that he actually evaluated um, while they were pregnant and monitored. Um, monitored the fetus as well um, with response to exercise. And one thing you did that he looked at was called fetal kick count. So as long as the baby's active after a, after a session, um, you know, that's a good sign And it's, if it's normally active too. So you'd sort of take a time period after training and then you'd you know, set your timer for 10 minutes. You'd count number of fetal kicks um, or movement in that time and then you'd basically make sure that each time you train that there'd be a roughly the same amount um, so that would be sort of standard for that baby because every baby is different. So my baby was active. He was always active after training. Um, I also just used RPE, so making sure, you know, if I felt dizzy, if I felt tired, it just wasn't the day to push it. You know, people say you're tired in the first trimester. I would disagree. I think you're tired. If you're used to being very active and very fit and feeling good, I'd say you're tired the whole 10 months, the whole nine months. But, um you know, just listen to your body is, is really number one. But you can, if you're used to it, you can push the limits cardiovascular-wise as long as you monitor that fetal well-being with kick count and, you know, use a talk test or an RPE. You're not, it's not the time to, to do personal bests or time to, you know, go to a level 9 or 10 on an RPA test. It's, it's a time to make sure that you're healthy and the baby's healthy and that, you know, essentially you are training um, the baby in utero. When my son was born, his resting heart rate was 30 beats lower than average. 
So there's a possibility he could have been, you know, trained while he was in utero. It's kind of interesting. Oh, okay. It's interesting that there's been a, you know, there's been some research when it comes to the cardiovascular side of things when it comes to training, but, you know, very little when it comes to the resistance, uh, you know, the benefits of resistance training during pregnancy. Yeah, there's there's not a lot, and I think it's because it's harder to measure and harder to monitor. Um, you know, because you've got a lot. There's a lot of technical elements. Um, my, you know, I sort of just advise women to make sure they keep their posterior t- chain nice and strong because their center of mass is going to be it's going to change. Um, the balance might be off a little bit. Uh, monitor flexibility and mobility. Make sure, especially throughout the T-spine, and that becomes a lot more difficult throughout the pregnancy as the baby grows. And a lot of women get really locked up in their T-spine um, during that time just because they're not able to get into positions they were able to get into before. Obviously, avoid lying on your back. So I wasn't allowed to do things like bench press or Turkish get-ups and, and whatnot after the first trimester. And I did a lot of low-impact um, work as well simply because jogging and, and things of that nature when your body mass increases is, is really a lot harder on your joints. So you know, be, be careful and, and be aware that, you know, load is one thing, but load on the joints is also another thing. It, it requires a lot of recovery too. Oh, okay. Good. Those are some good tips. Any other tips when it comes to, the, you know, things to avoid and things to kind of remember when it comes to training tips while pregnant? Sure. I mean, a lot of it does come from more anecdotal evidence, um, more from my personal experience. However, I was given some really what I think is very interesting advice is to not do Kegel exercises while you're pregnant. I was advised by my naturopath, um, Dr. Julie Dernan, who's um, very well known in in West Vancouver here, and she specializes in pre- and postnatal um, naturopathic medicine, and she, I asked her why, so that's funny because, you know, you have so many therapists and, and trainers telling you to do just that. She said, well, actually, you want to be able to bear down and relax the pelvic floor when you're giving birth, and it's not the time to be strengthening those muscles and improving endurance. When you want to be doing those kegels is right after delivery. So whether you had a C-section or not, they recommend that you do do Kegels because there's even pressure on the pelvic floor just because the weight of the baby as the baby drops down during the, the later weeks in the pregnancy that it does tend to weaken those areas. So Kegels afterwards was a big piece of advice. Um, just patterning, so things like deep squats, like holding onto a bar like a ballerina would do with your feet and your hips externally rotated just helps with mobility. Um, of the hips as well, so I did quite a bit of that. I did a lot of sumo deadlifting because you're not able to get into a conventional position because of the size of your belly. So if, again, you externally rotate the feet and the hips and grip inside the feet and the knees, you can move good load. I was still pulling close to 190 at eight and a half months pregnant off the, uh, not off the floor, mind you, off a couple of risers. So Again, you know, you want to be careful with your body. Your body is producing relaxin, so ligaments are going to be more volatile or vulnerable to stress and to stretch. Um, So you want to be aware of that. And then, of course, avoiding things like riding a bike because you could fall off or playing any collision or contact sport. So I stopped playing flag football at uh, 12 weeks um, because of the hormones in my body and obviously 
just the change in, in, in your belly starts to grow at that point too, and then it does become dangerous to the baby after the first trimester if you do have any blunt trauma to the abdomen. So avoiding those things. I did a lot of my training standing, but it's ironic that's how I train my clients. We do very little work lying, you know, in a supine or prone position on the floor. And not a lot of um, isometrics, so I would avoid a lot of breath-holding maneuvers where you're going to drive the blood pressure up, um, again, just, just for safety and from a health standpoint. And uh, that would be sort of it, and, you know, focus on posture. And I mentioned that earlier, the T-spine does tend to get a little bit locked up just because of the weight. And sometimes with women, their breasts will also increase in size, which adds more weight to that front half of the body. So, you know, get into extension, get into rotation through the T-spine, go for massages to keep things nice and loose. You know, there's different chiropractors that do treatments for pregnant um, women as well, so you can investigate those, just make sure that they're trained in, in working with that population. And then if you are seeking advice from a fitness professional, they don't necessarily, in my opinion, need to have a certification. I'm not certified, but I am an exercise physiologist, and I've done, I've got 15, 16 years of practical experience, so I think um, with that, that speaks for itself. So just make sure that, uh, you know, whoever you're taking advice from, um, you know, possibly has had their own child and, and possibly has some education, if not a certification. Okay. All great uh, all great tips and advice. So now, so we've talked about, you know, prior to delivery, so you ended up having uh, a C-section, and then and we, we kind of talked about, and you kind of talked about, you know, you, the challenges you had a couple of days afterwards, being bedridden, I cannot imagine you being bedridden. It must have driven you crazy. Uh, <laughs> Tired. <laughs> and uh, and then, so, what was your kind of process recovering afterwards when it comes to like exercise? Because I know you were probably sitting there, laying there for three days, going, "Okay, what can I do, or how can I get moving?" <laughs> Absolutely. Actually, it was great in the hospital. They had a physical therapist that was come to my room and just do some basic, and I mean basic exercises, um, just things like heel slides. Um, I think that was actually it to begin with because I was sort of stuck on my back. So we started with that, and then once I was able to become mobile, I actually had to use a splint to put pressure on the stitches to walk around. So I wasn't e actually even able to get into full extension. So the first little while, my poor husband ended up having to, I think, give me about 10 back rubs a day just to, just to loosen me up. And ironically, I ended up talking with um, Vinod, who's a phys physiotherapist that consults for my company, and he's, he teaches the FMS courses for Grey Cook. He was saying that um, people that are highly active, once they are in sort of static, repetitive um, you know, positions, they actually feel a lot more pain than people are sort of used to being hunched over at computers. And I thought that was kind of an interesting point of advice either that or it was a good excuse for me being so whiny but um, <laughs> yeah it was that part was tough at the beginning I was just really stiff and achy but then once I was able to start moving you just start with walking you know literally it was 15 minutes then 20 then 25 and I'm not talking at a quick pace here I'm talking at a nice slow leisurely pace and you know listen to your body you can't do anything that causes pain because the consequences of rupturing those sutures or the incision 
is tenfold, and then your recovery is tripled. So I stuck exactly to the guidelines of eight weeks. Um, that's all they tell you in the hospital. They don't give you progression, so they're not giving you a piece of paper saying, okay, week one, do this, week two, do this, because everybody's healing time is different. Back to my naturopath, Dr. Dernan, she actually gave me a whole bunch of uh, homeopathic remedies. So I was taking things like Arnica and Tromiel orally right after the surgery just to help with inflammation and tissue healing. I recommend uh-huh. that, you know, to even my athletes that I work with if they've had any injuries or contusions and things like that just to help speed up the actual tissue healing. Eat a balanced diet. A lot of people don't even think about that, but that's going to impact how your body heals. Try to get sleep. Yes, you have a newborn and that's tough, but, you know, my husband obviously helped out a lot initially because I couldn't, I wasn't actually allowed to lift the baby um, or carry the baby um, the first couple of days. And then after that, um, you know, you're allowed to do a little bit more. Then you can start to introduce, you know, the fun things like vacuuming and, and whatnot. I remember my midwife coming over about 10 days after my son was born and she said, oh, my gosh, your house is so tidy. And I said, yeah, actually, I just finished cleaning the floors. And she just looked at me like, what? You did what? <laughs> Carmen, you're supposed to be resting. But I don't think she realizes that, you know, for me to clean the floors, that's probably a, a one out of ten. You know, whereas maybe for somebody that's not highly active, that might be a five out of ten. You know, my body composition didn't change that drastically being pregnant, so I didn't have a lot of weight to lose, you know, and so on. So I was I was. Well, I was lucky in that in that sense. And then uh, as time went on, I remember my first workout at the gym. I think I deadlifted two 12-kilo kettlebells and um, didn't even do any swings or anything ballistic. So things were very controlled, very static, and very light. So I'm probably working at about 10 to 20% of my one rep maximum. Not that I really know what my one rep maximum is, but somewhere in there. Um, trying to do a, a pull-up was impossible when I used to do sets of, you know, five to eight. So, you know, it was a little discouraging, um, but you, you start slow. You know, things like a push-up, again, back to hands on the bench, feet on the floor, and just do the negative aspect of the push-up and then start to increase. But the keys were really listen to your body. You just had abdominal surgery. They don't cut your abdominals open, but, you know, they still make an incision through the the first few layers of of skin. So, you know, you've got a lot of healing to do there. And then you can also do just some self-massage. So on the actual site where the incision was just to help with scar tissue, because a lot of women get sort of bubbling in that area. So you can do that to smooth everything out. And then I think... uh, Gosh, I went back to play football the first week of March, and I had my son December 13th. And I played the, the spring season, and I got hurt. I ended up um, with Achilles tendonitis and a pretty bad groin strain on the left, the same side that he was positioned on. And um, now I'm in physio once a week uh, on top of my own training, so I'm actually getting ready to get my RKC testing done again at the end of August. So I'm still, you know, not 100%, and, it, you know, it's been – seven months and I you know think it will probably take a full year for my my body and my core if you will to function reflexively like it did before I had my son now I you know when I do cutting patterns and sprinting it's all hip flexor that I'm using so I'm trying to sort of retrain uh, my nervous system so that way my body shares load a little bit better and my poor Achilles tendons aren't uh, bearing you know all 140 pounds of me so 
so yeah, that's you know that's sort of my story. I think everybody's is going to be a little bit different. But if I were to give any women advice, I mean, if your doctor tells you it's eight weeks, it's eight weeks, and not a day shorter than that, and and really take it easy and let people do things for you. If someone offers, you know, to open the car door, to put on your coat, take the help, and um, you know, don't be a hero because you need to be healthy for your child, and that's what's most important. Okay. And it's interesting, you kind of bring up a lot of, uh, like, subtle points. So it's not always necessarily, you know, focusing on cardiovascular fitness, focusing on strength. It's a lot more other stuff that you need to look at, like kind of retraining those movement patterns because things have kind of changed within you, looking at kind of retraining when it comes to the stability side of things, you know, statically and dynamically, looking at, you know, being cautious of certain strength things but still focusing, in on the strength things and realizing it might be a transition back to what you were doing before because, you know, your body has gone through, uh, you know, a severe trauma, if you, if you want to say. Absolutely, yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. I think it, too, depends on the, the client and the person. I mean, I play um, women's football, so it's a lot of sprinting, a lot of change in direction. There's a lot of contact involved in the sport that I play, and it's very dynamic in nature. So the demands on me are going to be different than the average, I'm going to call it the average gym rat, (laughs) you know. So, (laughs) you know, your person that just goes to the gym, and I don't mean to say just. I mean, it's fantastic if someone goes to the gym and gets exercise. Um, Even someone that does a lot of heavy strength training, squats and deadlifts and pull-ups and things like that, it still doesn't have a dynamic nature and doesn't require the reflexive stability that sport does. So, you know, it, 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 I, if I were to look back, I, I should have taken six months to get my, myself back to a, you know, to a level of fitness, if you will, um, before I started playing such a rigorous sport, um, especially with the mentality that I play with, which is one of, you know, being quite competitive and, and you know, giving my all and, and trying my best. So I'm thinking I'm still 22 years old, <laughs> um, playing against 22-year-olds, so there's no ego involved, of course, but, um, yeah, so that, that part of it was, that was probably the toughest part. I remember thinking when they told me I was going to get my C-section, I thought, oh my God, am I going to be ready for football? That was the first thing that ran through my head. It wasn't, oh, am I going to get, be able to go to the gym? I only go to the gym to be able to go out and not kill myself doing the activities that I like to do. Um, but I'm, it was funny because I just received an anonymous email from somebody last weekend and it wasn't very positive. Um, he accused me of being, or, or could have been a she, of being a gym rat. And I thought, you know, it's funny because if, if you actually knew me, you, you'd know that I'm not really a gym rat. You know, I, I do the things in the gym. It's kind of like flossing your teeth. you got to do it so you don't get cavities. It's, you know, it's all preventative. So that way, again, I can go out. And, and now that I've got a son that, you know, is seven months old and already trying to, to walk around by holding on to furniture, he's ahead of the game and I'm hoping he'll want to be an athlete and great then I can you know maybe teach him some things and, and I can be fit enough and strong enough to to go out and run around with him on a field and not uh, be in pain or you know have the injuries that I'm suffering from right now <laughs> well we all love those anonymous emails <laughs> oh aren't they funny actually it was my first one right I had oh, a yeah having oh. coffee in the morning and I was you know and I thought wow I thought he even went to the trouble of making a fake address, a fake email, uh, I, and I emailed him back. I thought, okay, I'm just going to, you know, email him back, and a little witty banter, and I 
you know, press send. I was all proud of myself, and it, of course, went into cyberspace, and my email told me that it didn't exist. So oh, I didn't oh. I didn't get to uh, to give this person my rebuttal, but um, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. I'm a gym rat, apparently. That's fine. <laughs> wow. And then, uh, so then looking at the gym rat side of things, Sure, what, yeah. do you, what, what would be some of the tips when it comes to the strengthening side of things that you'd have to kind of focus in on or avoid after a, a C-section, in your kind of opinion? You know, I would go right back, right afterwards, to primal movement patterns. You know, if there's nobody better person to study, it's going to be your infant on how to roll. And uh, believe it or not, that's what I'm working on now, and I should have done that um, initially. I really should have. Mm-hmm. Because my obliques, you know, are just not the, the timing of of the, the firing within the muscles are just not doing what they need to do, and you know, part of it could have been my history beforehand, um, but I think a large part of it was just having surgery on those areas. So go back to primal movement patterns, go into things like quadruped, you know, rolling drills stuff like that, primitive movement patterns, even just basic squats, work on range of motion, work on your hip flexors, getting your hips open, improving mobility there, improve mobility in your T-spine, and then put some strength on top of that. You know, don't go right back into the gym and just start. Not that I did that. I've always been very diligent about my mobility work, but I, what I didn't do was work on just reflexive patterning drills. That and you know really it takes the keen eye of a, of a kinesiologist or a strength coach or a phys- physiotherapist to know whether or not you're using the wrong strategies to move, and those strategies will eventually get you in trouble because it causes a lot of load on tissues that can't handle that load. So that would be my you know my first bit of advice and my my advice to anyone that goes to the gym is just never train on machines. You know as far as I'm concerned, treadmills are for hamsters. You know, what does a lap pull down do? I, I have no idea. Just, you know, do a TRX pull-up if you can't do a regular pull-up. That's a fantastic stimulus. Try to make your training as dynamic as possible. You know, don't worry about sets and reps are your least important training variables. You know, if your quality is poor on rep number 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10, then do sets of 5 and do 8 sets of 5 instead of 5 sets of 8. You don't have to stay in these little... Um, categories, if you will, of rep ranges for certain, you know, for strength or for power or hypertrophy or, or whatever. It's actually reps are really not an important part of the training equation. The order of your exercises, the exercises you select, your technical ability to do the exercise and your tempo and your rest periods are going to be far more important than your sets and your reps, which is really just telling us how much volume you're doing. You know, always leave the gym feeling good and sparky. Don't leave the gym feeling like you just trashed yourself. Um, It took me all my 20s to learn that. (laughs) I used to go and just, you know, crush myself pretty much every time, you know, thinking that was what I needed to do to make gains. But you don't, you know. And and I wrote a blog about this. I think it was overtraining leads to undertraining. And it's sort of a – I'm not sure if I even understand what I mean by it, but, you know, you're never, ever going to reach intensity levels of 9 and 10 in a training session if you're always going to 8. So meaning that the the days that you should leave the gym feeling like you didn't do enough, you were at 2s and 3s, and then the next day, because you've regenerated and you've recovered, then you can go to that 9 or 10. But if you're always just in this sort of stim-freak zone, 
you're never, ever going to make gains. The people that make gains work really hard and they rest really well. The people that don't make gains are just sort of hanging out in that no man's land, if you will. Okay. Great, great information. And then, okay, you talked about, you know, treadmills are for hamsters, but would there be some cardiovascular recommendations that you would have? I mean, we talked about, you know, after uh, the surgery, I mean, walking to the level that you can do and kind of increase the intensity after the walking, but anything else that you kind of suggest? I mean, mean, it depends on the person. You know, I, I teach a course at the college, and at the end of the course, the students are supposed to run a 10K, and I've been arguing against this for a couple of years now. I don't know if any of my colleagues will be listening to this because not everybody is structurally inclined or has the integrity to run. You know, if yeah. you're not strong and you're not balanced, don't run. You will hurt yourself. You will uh-huh. be injured. It's not a matter of if. It's a matter of when. I don't run anymore. And you know why? It's because I can't stand it. <laughs> if you throw me a frisbee, I will run like a dog for hours. But just the, the running for the sake of running... I won't do it. I did the grouse grind yesterday because I took my intern up, and he's from Ontario, so he's never done the grind. And the whole time up the grind, I kept thinking, why am I doing this? This is horrible. I hate this. Uh-huh. So that's me. Uh-huh. That's me. Um, so I say for cardiovascular, pick something that you like. The biggest – I'll give the women, though, maybe a weight loss tip. The biggest mistake women make to you know with losing the baby weight is to, to do cardio, though. The human body, and I think Alan Cosgrove spoke on this years ago. I think I think it was him that he had found some research that stated if you did the same sort of repetitive movement pattern about three times, so say three different training sessions, your body becomes immediately more efficient at it. So therefore, say the caloric cost of running 30 minutes is 500 calories on day one, by day four, it's less than 500 calories. Then we know by day 10, it's less. Then we know by day 365, it's even less. So meaning the human body is extremely economical, and it will it will use as little fuel as possible and find the most efficient way to do something, even though even if it's not biomechanically sound, it will still find an efficient way to do something. So I think... Don't think about cardio. Think about conditioning. And if you want to, go ahead and and jump on the step mill for 10 minutes. Then get off and do 20 kettlebell swings. Then do five minutes straight of Turkish get-ups without stopping. Believe me, you will get a cardiovascular benefit from that. Then go do some step-ups. And, I mean, I'm just throwing this out there. Please don't follow this exact order. (laughs) Or you'll get more emails. (laughs) Exactly. I'll get more emails saying I'm a gym rat and what am I talking about. You know, grab some battling ropes. I use the ropes all the time. I really love them because I'm getting older, and they're a great way of unloading the joints. I'm a big fan of unloading the joints. So, again, playing football twice a week, if I'm in doing dry land training, I'm not loading my joints because I'm loading them on the field. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, when I think about recovery, it's not just about recovering energy systems. It's recovering tissue. You know, so I think mix it up, a lot of variety, lots of interval training. That's a, another key to fat loss because that it prolongs the amount of oxygen you're using after your finished training, and that burns calories, uses energy. And don't worry about things like fat-burning zones because, you know, they exist, but they exist when you sleep at night. Nobody's getting leaner sleeping at night. So 
you know, stay away from sort of those commercial fad ideas, exercising on an empty stomach, all that kind of thing. If you can't exercise hard and work hard, then you're probably not going to make significant changes in your in your fitness. So make sure you're fueled, make sure that you're rested, and go and do something you enjoy and mix it up. That's sort of my advice to cardiovascular training. I'm not, I don't use heart rate monitors really, but this isn't my area of expertise either. I, I did my master's in muscle phys, and that's sort of where I like to stick um, in, more in that area. So, okay. I, I, you know, someone else might be a better – there are a lot of people out there a lot smarter than I am like, with respect to cardiovascular training and a hell of a lot bitter. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we – so we, you kind of touched on the mobility side that it's kind of important to address, like thoracic spine and uh, and hip. Um, we, you kind of touched upon, you know, that fuel or what you eat is important when it comes to recovery, and there might be some foods to consider or recommended supplements that address inflammation, helping with inflammation and minimizing that when it comes to recovery. So I think all we really have is the flexibility side. Anything to say about that? You know, like I think with women, if they if they've just had a baby, they're in a breastfeeding, they're still they still have high levels of relaxing in their body, so they might find whoa, all of a sudden they're more flexible than they were beforehand because of that. But just know that it's the ligaments that are becoming more more flexible. It's not a muscle. So when we think about flexibility and you know doing static stretching, just be for women, just be aware that for every degree of range of motion you gain, you must also gain that much more strength. So I find, and this is going to be a broad sweeping gen- gender generalization, that women typically don't need to do as much flexibility work as men do. Men typically need to do more. Um, I'm a bit of an exception to that. I'm definitely more of a, of a tighter person, someone that does need to do static stretching. But I did notice um, it was no problem for me to squat way below parallel um, after my son was born and even towards the end of the pregnancy because of hormone changes. So I would actually be quite careful with flexibility because you're getting a false idea of what your true end range is because of hormonal influence. So just err on caution there. Okay. Well, do you have any last-minute things to say or last uh, yeah. last things to kind of say to wrap up for, like, you know, considerations prior to uh, delivery and considerations guess, after delivery? I guess, you know, all the pregnant women are going to hate me for saying this. But, <laughs> you know, being pregnant, you're not it's, – it's common sense. It, it really is training, nutrition, all that stuff. It's common sense, you know. Stay away from foods that are full of additives, preservatives, caffeine, right? Because it's not good for the baby. Makes sense. Stay well hydrated. Keep your body temperature, you know, down. So that way, if you're exercising outside in the heat, know that that heat, if it's stressing you, it's definitely stressing the baby. If your heart rate goes up, the baby's heart rate is going up. So do things that are manageable for you within a level of comfort that you are used to. I'll just reiterate, it's just not a time for personal best. It's a time for health, not performance. And often performance and health can be on opposite ends of the spectrum. So any of you that are listening have ever trained any wrestlers will know what I'm talking about. So it, you know, err on the, con- ca- the, err on the cautious side. That's, you know, the most important advice I can give you. And listen to your body. You know, your doctor is going to tell you it's okay to exercise, 
but that's really the only advice they're going to give you. If you do seek a professional, someone with advice, they can be certified. That's helpful. I'd probably maybe go beyond that and see what kind of exercise physiology they knowledge they have because, you know, if, if you're working out with your trainer and you get a headache, someone with physiology background is going to have some ideas maybe why you have a headache. They're going to know to terminate that exercise session immediately. Um, you know, and if you're not working out with somebody that, that has that background, just make sure that, they, that they're just on, more on the conservative side. And uh, right now I'm counseling a trainer who doesn't have any training in pre- and postnatal. I'm, she's just basically booked me for a couple hours of, of consulting. And I, this is the advice that I'm essentially giving her. There is a great book for those of you that are interested in training the pregnant athlete. It's written by a guy named Dr. James Clapp, spelled C-L-A-P-P. And uh, it was written in 1998, but he did a lot of very, very good research. And so if you want some research to sort of back up what you're saying, and if you're interested in some of my literature reviews, they've been published on ptonthenet.com, as well as on my blog site on the articles page. I believe they are there um, for publishing CanFit Pro magazine. So my blog is uh, www.hum. No, that's my website. Sorry, .carmenbot.com is my blog. So C-A-R-M-E-N-B-O-T-T.com. And that would be my last little bit of advice. And, and if anybody listening to this has any questions, I'm on maternity leave, so I'm you know, I'm not stirring up shit on Facebook and swearing <laughs> over the Internet. Um, you guys can email me, and I can answer you because I'm, you know, I'm lacking adult interaction. There you go. <laughs> okay. Well, so then, where can people get a hold of you? They can uh, email me at, through my website at uh, humanmotion.com. Okay, and then you also have uh, your blog, which is at carmenbot.com. Yeah. And that's double T, B-O-T-T. B-O-T-T, you got it. <laughs> okay. So thank you very much, Carmen. Thank you, Rick. That was fun. And uh, thank you very much, uh you know, exercises for injury readers and listeners. Uh, thank you very much for listening to this interview. Make sure you swing by the blog, and uh, there will be other information on various injuries and exercise. Uh, if you know of a expert that I can interview, please do contact me on the blog. Or if you want me to interview you, you have a personal story of an injury or some kind of specialization when it comes to uh, injuries, please do contact contact me on the blog. So this is Rick Kasselge from exercisesforinjuries.com saying take care and bye-bye.